This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. What you're about to hear originally aired in July of 2019. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. You're not just getting a beer concept that comes from one or two brains, you're getting it from a whole bunch. Um, so it gives us a wide range of, of creativity. Um, it also serves as a great educating piece for, for folks, people who haven't brewed before, get to not only brew a beer, but get to be participate in the recipe development uh, and brewing and cellaring, et cetera, of that beer and really you know, learn a tremendous amount about process. This week on the show, Jason Perkins tells us how a beer comes to life at Allagash Brewing Company. Jason, how many brand, how many new brands did Allagash release last year? You know, I'm not exactly sure how many beers we did last year, but we're probably we're if you include literally every single one, it's probably getting pretty close to a hundred. Wow. Um, you know, and some of those are, you know, maybe that's one single keg that we poured in our tasting room for some specific event or something like that, but it's a lot. Okay, cool. So I guess we get better asked the most important question that everyone's wondering, how on earth do you come up with names for all those beers that aren't already taken? It's absolutely the hardest part. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's 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 pretty brutal. It uh, used to be fun you know, back in the day, right? Yeah, for it's sure. not fun anymore. No. <laughs> yeah, we we we. It's it's really hard. And and I, I will say, luckily, I'm not I'm not that involved in it anymore. And I've actually I've told um I've told the other folks involved in it to to basically just just loop me in at the end because yeah. <laughs> I end up I realized that I was just putting a wrench in stuff, you know, because uh, they'd asked my opinion and you know, someone asked my opinion, I would give my opinion and um, you know, it might I might do it at the wrong time after that they've already gone through and, and ruled a bunch of other stuff out. So I was just throwing wrenches into it. So uh now I don't I, I usually the name comes to me when uh when they're pretty you know when the couple other folks who work on it are pretty set where they want to be but we do like our innovation program in general we do ask uh you know usually an email goes out to the entire staff uh here and says anybody uh want to weigh in on this you know you give a little background to what the beer is um and then you know people do weigh in 
but the you know the problem is a lot of times people aren't aren't checking untapped or googling those names before they they put them in. So uh, many of them, ninety percent of the names that are suggested by staff are are not usable because they're already used by somebody else. Yeah, makes sense. The inter- industry as a whole is a lot different than it was five or ten years ago. Talk about some of the new challenges in brand development. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a whole different world. I mean, it, you know, if we go back to the early years of like creating beers here at Allagash twenty years ago, ten years ago, even five years ago, it was you know it was a lot. It was just um, you know it was easier. You could do it a little bit slower. You could just kind of casually come up with a concept and execute it and so on. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of breweries out there. There's a lot of brands out. Every brewery has got a whole bunch of different beers. Um, consumers want, uh, what's new, what's different. Um, so that poses a challenge. Um, timelines have to be, uh, pushed up, you know, you know, partially because the industry has changed partially because we're a bigger company than we used to be, you know, planning ahead for beers that we're going to sell. I mean, we're, we're, you know, a year out on some of that planning. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, we were, you know, we'd, we'd say, Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's do this beer. Great. And, you know, you know, six weeks to eight weeks later, we're selling it. Uh, and, and it's just, uh, it's not, it's just so much, much more of a complicated world these days. You let all employees at Allagash purchase, participate in the pipeline of new brands. Talk about that and what it does for company culture. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty amazing thing that we we started a long time ago. I mean, I think with any great piece of culture at a company, it, the the greatest ones are ones that grow with the company. It's so hard to like ins, insert a certain practice into a company when it's already grown. Whereas this is a good example. You know, you know I'd use the same argument with safety. I think we have a great safety culture here that started when we were really small. Good quality culture, etc. But and and you know the way we tapped into our staff really started from the very beginning when we were just a couple of employees they were allowed but as we grew we just for a while had this program without a scaffold around it and then as we grew we realized we had to kind of put a scaffold around what we already had in place um, and so now as a you know a company of 130 or so employees we you know we do need some kind of structure for it so we just uh, we allow all employees to submit a concept um to the our pilot team uh and and we intentionally make the the process for submitting an idea as simple as possible so it's literally just a very simple google form people fill out um and, and they don't need to include you know specific yeast strains or, or raw materials of any type uh depending on the individual they may just submit you know a flavor that they're trying to get at or you know I had this beer that inspired me and this beer I really love. I want to do a hybrid of these two. Uh, and, and we do that on purpose because we realize that, you know, we may have some staff members who have brewed here for a long time or have a big home brewing background. You know, those folks can submit an idea really fully flushed out. Um, they may even submit an actual recipe to brew on our small system. But there are a lot of employees here who, uh, you know, love beer, but maybe don't know process as well or haven't even home brewed or brewed a batch at all in their in, in their life. So um, they can just submit kind of a concept they're trying to hit at. And then the experienced uh, brewers on the pilot team can develop that recipe with them to get at the flavors they want to get. Um, so what it does for us is it's, it's hard to really capture everything. But I mean, it, it certainly is our innovation pipeline. It lets us tap into 
a wide kind of diversity of people here. So you're not just getting a beer concept that comes from one or two brains, you're getting it from a whole bunch. Um, so it gives us a wide range of, of creativity. Um, it also serves as a great educating piece for, for folks, people who haven't brewed before get to not only brew a beer, but get to be participate in the recipe development uh, and brewing and cellaring, et cetera, of that beer. And really, you know, learn a tremendous amount about process, um, you know, lets us interact with various departments, departments who aren't necessarily on the production floor on the regular, all of a sudden you get to spend a day out there. Um, so it's, it's really, like I said, it's a small program that we've slowly evolved as we've grown as we've grown. So, um, it's really a fantastic program. Okay. Talk more about that pilot team and, and who's on it. How many, how many different people or departments are typically involved in this brand development process? So the pilot team is, uh, you know, like, as I just, you know, just described the pilot team is not, um, is not the one necessarily coming up with all the, the beer ideas. We're getting beer ideas from the whole company. The pilot team is empowered to, to certainly cre- create and be innovative themselves. But the pilot team's primary function is to, to um, kind of liaison with uh, someone who's submitted an idea, work with them, um, and brew with them. So the people on that team kind of have to have to have uh, a good chunk of experience, uh, either pilot, uh, either home brewing or you know brewing uh, on a larger scale. They also have to be good people, be you know, good with people. They have to be able to talk, um, teach people about the process, work with them about a subject matter they may not know a lot about. So the makeup of that team is um, made up of um, we've got. Uh, several brewers on the team. I mean, I, I participate in the team, but I don't actually run the team. We have one of our senior brewers, Evan Culver, who's the head of that team. Um, so he kind of runs the meetings and, and runs the logistics of the team. Uh, we have several other brewers on the team as well, because a big function is just, you know, the, the actual making of the beer, the, fu- the functioning of uh, cellar work, et cetera. We have a... Um, one somebody from our engineering department or engineering maintenance department on the team as well. He happens to also be an experienced home brewer, but it's nice to have that perspective from a mechanical side of things to, to understand what's going on there. Um, we also have a, a, a position here we call beer to market specialist. Uh, and she's participates in the pilot team as well. And that's her kind of main role in the pilot team is to be kind of right involved right from the beginning. When we identify a beer that's in the pilot stage and we're decided okay we're going to move it from the pilot stage to the next stage because it is worth noting that we you know we'll probably brew i don't know 60 or 70 brews on the pilot system a year and you know maybe 10 15 of those will get pushed forward from that into some next step so there's there's a lot of a lot of beers that don't get past the pilot stage, of course. So is that, that pilot team is always the same. It doesn't vary for each new brand that comes through or did I get that? No, right? It's always, it's always the same. Okay. We do have, we, we have somewhat recently initiated uh, kind of term limits for the team members, just because there's a lot of interest amongst our staff to be part of that team. So currently it's two year term limits for people on that team, but it's the same people uh, on that team and working with it each time we and, do every time a beer idea is submitted someone from the t- pilot team kind of raises their hand and says, I want to, I, I want to be the liaison for that particular idea. 
And so then that particular person will be the one-on-one interactor with whoever submitted the idea. Got it. And we're going to walk through that the whole process uh, start to finish here in a second. But uh, one last question before we do that. Do you guys use any um, project management software um, as you're developing these these new beers? We do use uh, we use um, project management software called Asana for beer to market process, as we call it. So we almost we look at kind of in several stages when it's in that kind of ideation stage, the pilot team stage, we're not using any project management software there. Um, but when we decide, okay, it's moving from section, you know, this area to the next area into true development, then it gets uh, entered into the Asana um, project management software, which a lot of people have their hands in and, and of course have lots of different responsibilities to actually get that beer to market. Jason, walk us through um, walk us through your actual development process. How does it start? Where does it go? We start with, of course, the you know the pilot stage where you know this idea comes in from an employee. Um, it certainly has to make it past that first round. So that first round is you know we get a bunch of ideas that get submitted, and and you know the pilot team is tasked with deciding whether it's a worthwhile. Uh, beer to bring into even that system. You know, we're we're making only making ten gallons of beer, so we can we can brew lots of different beers. But at the same time, you know, our resources are still limited even on that scale. So um, every beer idea that gets submitted does not get brewed. You know, it has to meet a certain amount of number of criteria for us to to even decide to brew it on that small scale. Um, and so, what are those? What what boxes does it have to have to check? Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 first of all, you know, I, I guess probably first and foremost is, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a, sound like a good idea. sound like a tasty beer. You know, if somebody submits something that's you know a little bit too over the top or out there and doesn't look like it's going to have the balance that we want and so on. And of course that's a fairly opinionated, uh, you know, nuanced decision there. Um, as is kind of one of our other bullets here at Allagash is you know, we call it Belgian inspired. You know, we don't even necessarily say Belgian style per se, but Belgian inspired. You know, when we started uh, the brewery in 95, we, you know, that was kind of right from the get-go our focus. So, you know, luckily that's still a pretty wide range of options out there for us to kind of fit that Belgian inspired um, kind of description. Um, We also needed to be uh, what we call safe and legal. So, you know, we want it to be a, with all the wacky ingredients that people are using in beer these days. Um, we want to make sure that it's something that, uh, you know, is safe for us to make and legal for us to make. Um, you know, w- there was a time where we were l- letting uh, folks submit or and in choosing beer ideas that didn't nest that had some kind of ingredients that were pushing the envelope. But again, our time is our time is limited. So, you know, if we're not going to make it on the big scale, if we wouldn't even make it, consider making it on the big scale, we're not going to make it on the small scale. So, um, you know, we we basically used a couple tests for that. One, um, there's the convenient uh, TTB, TTB approved list that the Brewers Association worked with TTB on. It's got, you know, 100 some odd ingredients on it that are, you know, acceptable to be used in beer without any... Um, you know, statement of process being submitted for that label approval. So it's a pretty wide range of stuff from various fruits to uh, coffees, you know, a lot of the typical ingredients that brewers are using these days. If it's on that list, then it's an easy yes. Uh, If it's not on that list, we require that it has to be on the generally regarded as safe list, uh, FDA list or grass list. Um, And 
if it's not on on that list at all, then we it's it's basically a no. We won't let people. Uh, we won't even bother brewing with that uh, on even on the pilot scale because it's just not not really worth our time. Um, kind of coupled with that, it, there has we do think about practicality, uh, and what I mean by that is you know again we, we we use a lot of funky ingredients and funky process and 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 wide range of yeast strains here. Um, but when, when we're deciding to push a beer forward into the pilot program, we still want to think about how would this be made on the larger brew house? Cause there's a lot of things you can do on a 10 gallon size that just are not practical on the larger size. So whether that's, you know, a whole bunch of fruit or, uh, lemon zest or something like that, that you can add in a big sparge bag on a 10 gallon system. When you start to think about how that would be executed on a large system, it starts to get a little more complicated. So uh, we just now, uh, as the pilot team, w- we'll think about those things right at the beginning of the process. And we still do some pretty stupid stuff on the big system in the end, very uh, labor intensive, but we, we got to at least be able to do that. Um, so that's, that's thought right at the early, early part of the process. And what percentage uh, of submissions would you say actually make it through this, this first, uh, this first phase? Uh, just off the top of my head, I would guess probably about twenty percent, maybe twenty five percent. Okay. Um, and and you know, wh- a lot of times what will happen too is, um, you know, people are people are submitting their ideas, uh, even though we make it simple. A lot of times they're, you know, they're going outside their comfort zone. They're 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 submitting something maybe they're really passionate about. So a flat out no can be a little harsh. So uh, it a lot of times will reach back out to the person and say, it's a no, but here's why. And, or, you know, here's a, a direction you could go with this. So a lot of times it, re- it results in a resubmission that maybe gets accepted. Fair enough. Okay. Well, let's move on to sort of that second phase. Uh, so your, your second decision point is, are, are we going to sell this beer? How, how do you get to that point? Yeah. Again, th- th- this gets into some, some more nuanced conversations. Um, we have a bi-weekly meeting that's um, kind of addresses a lot of this stuff. It's kind of a rolling uh, beer development pipeline meeting. So we're kind of constantly looking at our uh, rolling schedule of releases over the next 12 plus months, uh, making sure we don't need to adjust things. There's certainly plenty of beers that, especially on the you know, uh, wild fermentation side that don't go according to a schedule that we had set for them. So, um, does something need to be pushed back a month, et cetera. And in that meeting as well is when we talk about, um, potential, uh, potential beers that are, you know, we're pretty happy about in the pilot pilot, uh, stage and whether or not they could fit into, um, some other kind of release. And that meeting is, um, myself, our beer to market specialist, uh, our sales director and our marketing director, uh, as well as um, a woman who runs is oversees our tasting room. So that group of people kind of has a variety of perspectives on on what you know what the needs in the marketplace are, what the needs of our tasting room are, what's practical for us to fit into the schedule, and so on. Typically, it's me kind of championing uh, a beer to that group, uh, and and that stems from. Uh, pilot team folks if there's a beer that the pilot team is really fired up about um if i should also say that all of our pilot beers go on tap in our break room um so there's you know uh, just an open system for people to try those beers um provide feedback on them 
so we can get some feedback uh, via draft lab we use for assessing the preferences of that beer, but also just I put a lot of stock in what I hear people talking about uh, on the brewery floor, uh, you know, a beer that they're pretty psyched about. I also joke, semi-joked and semi-serious that how quickly that five-gallon keg is finished in the break room is a, is a big indicator of uh, how our staff feels about it. Um, so, you know, I bring kind of that knowledge to this bi-weekly meeting and, and talk about beers that I'm pretty excited about and the team is pretty excited about. And then, you know, it allows um, our marketing and sales directors to really give their perspective on kind of what they're seeing in the marketplace. So, so instead of like a sales and marketing team coming to the pilot team and saying, we need, you know, X type of beer ready in six months, it's really more, here's the, here's the kind of deep bench, I like to call it, of options that we have. And the sales and marketing po- folks can look at that and say, Ooh, I like, I like that one that fits, you know, in this time frame next year, or this one fits to just sell in our tasting room. Uh, luckily we have between cans, 12 ounce bottles, 750 milliliter bottles, 375 milliliter bottles and kegs. You know, we have options depending on, you know, maybe we just want to do one batch of this and sell it in a limited footprint. Maybe we want to go national with it, that kind of thing. Those are the conversations that happen at that bi-weekly meeting. Coming up. It's, it's really amazing to see how people react when their idea gets chosen and, and when it's their brew day and they come to work and they realize they, that this is their day that they get to step away from whatever they're doing on a normal day and brew a batch of beer. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG and their partners HVG, who bring you the very best in German hops, including Amira, the latest from their hop breeding program. With its classic hoppy, slightly herbal, and zesty lemon aromas, it's the ideal hop for those looking to capture the traditional flavor of a classic German lager. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top-quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. 
BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Midwest meets December 2nd at Royal Docks Brewhouse in Cannery. District Rocky Mountain meets December 6th at Leopold Brothers in Denver. Here's a couple of Master Brewers webinars to put on your radar. Yakima Chief Hops presents Unlock the Transformative Power of a Sensory Program December 7th. Then on December 12th, we have Rice for Beer, Brewing Principles and Techniques. The 2024 Barley Improvement Conference is January 10th and 11th in San Diego. Another Master Brewers webinar January 10th, Brewing NA Beer with SmartBev Near Yeast, a craft brewer's perspective. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. The District Great Plains annual meeting is February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. Now back to the show. Assuming a beer's made it through those first two phases and, and you're definitely going to sell the beer, uh, let's talk more about that distribution and that sort of that, that, that final decision point about you know, where and how you're going to sell it. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I will also say that the, per, you know, the, the preferred uh, way for us to bring a beer out to, to the market, and, and it doesn't always work this way, but the way we prefer to is, you know, starts with a pile of beer, of course, moves to the second stage, and it's a single, thir- for us, we have a 30-barrel brew house and a 75-barrel brew house. So the, f- the, the, the perfect first step beyond pilot would be a 30-barrel batch. And that would be um, sold most likely just in our tasting room, maybe a little bit in bottles or a little bit in cans and a little bit in kegs. Um, that's kind of stage one. And that really allows us to kind of see, um, see how the process, the actual process on a larger scale went, the brewing process and selling process uh, lets us you know, do some packaging tests and so on in a controlled amount and really see, see how 
had the beers received by the by the market as well. Um, and then after that, if it goes further than that, which it doesn't necessarily have to go further than that, then we step it up to some kind of a national release, whether that's a um, one-time national release. We do a lot of that. We don't necessarily do seasonal beers, but we do beers that we just release, you know, once a year to our national footprint. Um, or potentially, although this doesn't happen as much, a, a new year-round uh, available beer. So I'm um, I'm curious about the involvement of your your distribution partners. Do, do they get involved at all before sort of that decision point three? You know, I'm I'm kind of wondering like how often does a new beer that the brewery is really excited about does that ever just get shut down at the last minute by distributors, or do you get a thumbs up or down from them? You know, earlier in the process. You know, th- that's one part of the process that you know the distributors really aren't involved in any of the beer development process here. Um, other than once a beer, you know, if a beer goes to, um, national release, uh, on a, on a one-time scale, certainly that can give us feedback on, on how it did, uh, in the marketplace and how the wholesalers feel about it. But no, we're typically, you know, we're, we're communicating our release schedule to our wholesalers, you know, around, you know, the fall around annual business planning meeting time. Uh, and, and that's, that is what it is. So what else drives those decisions about when and where and how, how a new brand will be sold? You know, it, it really is. <laughs> it's, it's the part of the, this process that doesn't have strict rules to it. Not that we have strict rules really in any of it, but um, it's, it's a pretty nuanced process where, again, it's a conversation between marketing, sales, and myself on you know, where, what, we, what we feel is a good fit at a given time. Um, for what, you know, what kind of beers the marketplace is excited for, what kind of beers we're excited for. Um, you know, we've, we've managed to keep it a pretty organic process throughout. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that plays a big role in it. Um, uh, I will say one other thing that we've done, uh, I think we've done a really good job of in the last, really in, in the, really in the last year, we've really increased this is when, when we're, when we decide to move a beer forward, and, you know, we name it, you know, you talk about naming being one of the hardest parts. We actually won't even put the beer kind of into the project management software into Asana until it has a name and potentially even kind of uh, artwork associated with it. Maybe the label's not done, but uh, if it's a beer we're going to sell in a can or a bottle, we'll, we'll actually work on the name, the look and potentially the whole label before it really even gets into like the actual, um, you know, s- other, f- other steps of the beer development process. Uh, and this, you know, it's an important part of it is, you know, what's, what's the beer name going to be? What's also, what's the packaging going to look like? What's the, you know, what's, what's the, what's the elevator pitch for the beer? Uh, what's the story behind the beer? Uh, before before we get too much further along, because that's an important part of it as well. Will that happen for the ones that you know that are just going to be tasting room only too, or or will you sometimes just kind of shoot some stuff in the tasting room and and worry about some of those details later on? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of referring to the beers that uh, the beers that we're selling in a can or a bottle, okay. and even if that's just in the tasting room, um, so it's really small batch. Th- those are the beers we're doing that with. You know, out of the whatever I said, close to 100 beers that we, we, we'll do in, in a given year, there's a whole bunch of ones that are just going into the tasting room. And 
you know, we've got, especially, you know, if we pull, you know, a handful of kegs from some, from our wild beer program and do a special blend that, you know, we're just doing in there or fooling around with some new fruit. That's a lot of the, uh, a lot of beers we're doing in there, but a lot of times those beers we know just inherently by the way that they're made, that they're never going to go beyond the tasting room. They're pretty small scale. So, you know, the, some of the beer development burdens that you have for other beers, you don't have with those. So naming can be simpler, you know, you don't need imagery and, and labels behind it and so on and so forth. Going back to that big number of, you know, close to a hundred, um, you know, brands a year, do you have a target for that number or is that just what happens happens and it's an organic process? Yeah, it's really whatever happens, happens. Um, and there, there have been times, and I think we're kind of in one right now where, you know, it, 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 it waxes and wanes in terms of is our innovation program keeping up with what is needed. And there are times where for a long time, we came nowhere near close to keeping up. Like everything we did was sold in a second and it was gone. And, you know, we, we weren't making as many different beers, but it, the program wasn't necessarily keeping up with demand. Um, but then there are times where, you know, uh, Naomi, our sales director is just like, you know what, we got to pump the brakes a little bit here. You know, there's only so many beers you can sell, uh, especially at the wholesaler level. Um, you know, when you're getting, you know, you, you, our sales department, our marketing department, our wholesaler partners can only, you know, apply so much energy to, to Allagash in general. And so, you know, if we have a whole bunch of beers at a given time, it can be pretty challenging for them to even find the energy to, to be behind those. So, yeah, it's good to have that deep bench though, because then you can pick from the best of the best, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's key that communication between, uh, I think, you know, I have a, just a great working relationship with Naomi, our sales director and Jeff, our marketing director. And it's just that having that open line of communication is so important. And it seems like such a simple thing, but um, you know, again, back to the time where we, we couldn't keep up with the needs. Like I, I wasn't honestly communicating as well as I probably should have with the sales and marketing departments. And, but it didn't necessarily matter as much back then because everything we made, we made was just going out there. And, and now it's, it's really important to have that back and forth communication about what's needed out there. I'm curious about the, the brand development timeline, you know, does that vary significantly by brand or can you say that, Hey, you know, for a given brand, it's usually about a X month process. It varies dramatically and it varies dramatically with, with kind of where, where our needs set. We had a beer this year. Um, that was the first time we'd ever gone from pilot to national release beer called darling ruby uh, and that just uh, just the stars kind of all aligned with that we were all really fired up about the beer uh there was a spot in the in a in our release lineup that fit uh for that beer so that was pretty fast i imagine it um, also really matters too if the if the you know if the employee submitting it you know already has it like very clearly defined and you know has a recipe and all that i, I imagine that probably has a big impact on the timeline that certainly helps for sure Definitely. So how much, um, how much fine tuning is typical? I know you said, you know, in an ideal world, you're going to do the 30 barrel batch first. Do you oftentimes end up doing several of those before you scale up more or no? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we, we wouldn't move as much as we love a concept. If we're not, 
happy with the way that concept tastes at the pilot stage, we'll just kind of keep keep brewing it. So, you know, there's been some, usually it may be a, a simpler processed beer, simple recipe beer. You know, maybe we can get away with just piloting once. Typically, it's at least twice that, you know, we'll brew a second 10-gallon batch to make sure the flavors are where we at, make sure we can repeat uh, what the certain flavor impacts that we had. Um, but there have certainly been times where we've piloted a beer four or five, six times even uh, before moving it forward. And then when we move it to the 30 barrel size, again, depending on on how complicated the process is, um, we'll occasionally even brew a 30 barrel batch that we don't sell. Uh, 30 barrel dump batch, we call it, which is kind of crazy to think about, especially if you're not in the brewing industry or if you're not at a brewery brewing at the scale that, not that we're that big, but at the scale we're brewing, it's kind of like, crazy to conceptualize that you're going to brew a 30 barrel batch with the intent of not selling it um but we've really found for certain beers we for us to stand by the quality of the beer we feel that it's that's a necessary thing for us to do um and you know we, we feel lucky to have a pilot program our pilot system a 10 gallon system but the reality of it it's it, everything doesn't always translate exactly especially when you're using um, you know, odd ingredients or an odd fermentation process when you go from that 10 gallon up to 30. So, you know, there's a handful of times a year where we'll just identify, we're really excited about this beer, but we got to see how it's going to do on a large scale. And so we'll brew a 30 barrel batch, ferment it out completely, uh, and then package, depending on what package it's going to intended to be going into. So if it's, if we think we'll sell it in cans, we'll package it in cans, bottles, bottles, et cetera. And we'll, we'll package kind of the minimum that we can. So really a handful of cases. Um, and that's partially for sensory evaluation. It's also probably most importantly for um, seeing how it ages, seeing how it acts in the package, especially when we're talking about um, be a mixed fermentation beer, for example, uh, a beer that we want to really test the stability of over time. Um, so that's, that's something that we do a couple times a year. If the process is a simpler beer, a beer that we're, we're pretty confident in, then, then we'll often sell uh, just in the tasting room the first batch. How about you started to get into it, but I was interested in hearing more about the challenges of scaling up a, a recipe like that. You know, what are, what are some of the things that you have the most trouble with scaling sometimes? Yeah, I mean, the, just straight up like um, sizing up grain and hops, the simple stuff is, is really quite easy um it's it's the other stuff it's the uh if you know a beer is using two different yeast strains say um or you know we've had a couple beers but we've brewed um same word stream fermented with two different yeasts and then blended back together at a certain blending ratio like those kind of things are hard to scale up and then you know using uh you know weird whether it's lemon zest or grapefruit zest or grapefruit juice we've done that with a couple beers recently um those scaling up that uh is is probably one of the bigger challenges um you know some you know how uh how the impact of of zest or orange peels on a larger scale um it's going to be a little bit different to what extent does yeast management factor into your um, decision-making process and development cycle? I mean, you know, if you're bringing forward new brands that have, you know, a totally a totally different yeast, and that that adds a lot of variables to your to the whole brewery operations. 
Yeah, it most certainly does. I think our uh, QC team would say that we don't think about it as much as we should at a time because <laughs> um, it's, you know, we, we kind of, uh, we kind of make ourselves make our life a little more complicated here than we probably should. Um, but as from the, from the very beginning, we've been, you know, kind of, I guess you could say a yeast forward brewery. So uh, we often pull around with many different yeast strains in a given year because we feel like that's an important, um, you know, tool in our repertoire to create different flavors. Um, but it absolutely creates comp- complications to bring in additional strains, especially when you start to talk about some of the, you know, SPA1 diastaticus uh yeasts that are available out there um factoring that in that side of things is is complicated do you have any uh interesting advice or or anecdotes on sort of your approach to working with new yeast strains when you aren't familiar with their various quirks yeah i mean i think uh anytime some kind of forced fermentation tests are always good to do early on. I mean, we're, if we're using, we'll even do that at the pilot scale. Sometimes if we're, if we're working with a new yeast strain, we're not familiar with, um, we, I wouldn't say we always avoid, uh, SDA one positive yeast strains, but, uh, it definitely is a conversation for sure. Uh, early on in the process, cause that just adds a layer of complexity to everything. Um, Forced fermentations are the big one, and, and that, that's um, once that's one of the biggest factors for us to decide that we need to do one of those thirty barrel dump batches. Is you know if we feel like we need to uh, really see how that yeast is going to operate on a larger scale. A couple more sort of more technical brewing questions. Uh, I'm curious if you if you have many challenges in regards to sort of um, predicting beer color as you scale up from that very small batch um, to the larger batch. Is that something that maybe you've just gotten really good at knowing those two systems, or is that something that it can be a struggle at times? We haven't had too much of a struggle with that. Um, I would also say we don't. I don't want to say we don't worry about it, but it's not as an important piece to us at that stage. You know, it's, you know, color is certainly an important thing to control for a core brand, something that there's an expectation set ahead of time for a beer like this. You know, if we're off by a little bit, then what was the expectation was of the brewer? Uh, We're not, not too, too worried about that. Can you talk about how maybe you plan for and manage pH throughout your process with these, you know, new brands? Again, nothing, nothing complicated there. Um, you know, we, 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 we do very little pH adjustments. We adjust our pH in our mash and that's it. And we do so uh, on a small scale, the same way we do it on a large scale with uh, lack food grade lactic acid. And you know, we're on the pilot system. We're doing that with a pipette. We're just taking a little pipette out of our normal uh, drum of lactic from the brew house and throwing <laughs> that into the mash. So, uh, um, so really quite simple on that side, and, and that's all we really have to do in terms of pH adjustment throughout the process. One of my least favorite things in brand development is providing marketing with beer descriptions and flavor profiles for beers that either don't exist yet or are still in process. How do you manage that? Yeah, that's that. I, I agree. That is a, that is absolutely a challenge. Um, you know, it, in a perfect world, you know, we have uh, time with the pilot. We, we actually have the pilot. Um, batch to work with. So, you know, we'll run that through, we have a descriptive panel here that runs once a week 
um, that are, we have, you know, it's one of many sensory panels we run here and the script that we want once a week. And so we can throw the pilot batch into the descriptive panel. Uh, and then it'll spit, spit out a, you know, a list of descriptors, common descriptors of the beer. Uh, of course, many of those need to be uh, massaged a little bit, if you will, because, you know, a uh, marketing department or a consumer isn't super wild about reading about isolamyl acetate and ethyl acetate, et cetera. So, you know, you kind of translate the technical terms into a little more romantic terms uh, and create a description that way. That's, that's our preferred way to do it. Um, if the timeline's a little tighter, we have to kind of, you know, we'll sit down and, and describe the beer best we can based on, you know, assumptions that we have about the flavors we're trying to, to get at. The pace of innovation feels a lot faster than it used to, or maybe I'm just getting old. Do you have any tips for, um, for other brewers out there in regards to keeping pace, uh, keeping with the pace and the pressure to constantly churn out something new and different, but still keep innovation natural and human? Yeah, I mean, it is a big challenge. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's that things are moving so fast now. I think for us, uh, probably the biggest tool of all is the, having this deep bench of options to pull from. So, you know, having a whole bunch of beer ideas that we can pull from at any given moment is is makes it en- enables us to stay kind of keep the process organic. You know, it kind of occurred to me not that long ago that, you know, w- w- this process has been a, our kind of beer development and our pilot process has always been a very organic, you know, from the employee naturally moving beers forward that we're passionate about. It's always kind of been that way. And it, you know, a kind of light bulb went off in my head, you know, not that long ago where realizing that you know, we, we can't keep the only way we can keep operating that way is to have this wide range of options and to get ahead to really um, move the timeline up, if you will. So, you know, potentially thinking about beers that we're developing, r- that we're brewing on the pilot system right now are beers that we'll sell in 2021, not 2020. Yeah. Um, and now we're not necessarily quite there. And there are certainly some beers that we move forward quicker, but it, it kind of realized that for us to keep this process the same as it always has been and organic and from the ground up, which was really important to me personally, was we really had to build that, build that bench up. Uh, and so for us, that's the most important thing to, to keep up with the needs of the marketplace and still keep things organic. You consider this a success, even if the beer doesn't make it out of the pilot phase, because uh, you know uh, one of your employees got to brew something, uh, got to get involved with the process, got to learn something. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we definitely look at it that way. I mean, I think we, uh, and I think any employee who's taken part in the pilot process would would feel the same way. Um, it's it's really amazing to see. Uh, to see how people react when their idea gets chosen and, and when it's their brew day and they come to work and they realize they, that this is their day that they get to step away from whatever they're doing on a normal day and brew a batch of beer um, and learn process and hang out with one of the brewers and, and, and so on. And then their beer goes on tap in our break room and they get to see their coworkers um, drinking it and telling them how much they like it, or maybe they don't like it, but either way uh, having that communal kind of feeling of, of, participating in something that everybody gets to gets to enjoy um so yeah we absolutely look at even if the beer ends at what we call decision point one um 
you know, or decision at the after decision point one when the beer has been brewed, that's still a huge success story. That was Jason Perkins here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you want to learn more about brand development at Allagash, you can do so by accessing one of the great resources that comes with Master Brewers membership, the District Presentations Archive. Thanks to the efforts of volunteer district officers like Debbie Newstifter-Smith, members can download both slides and audio of the presentation Jason gave during the 2019 District Michigan Winter Conference. Check the show notes for a link or use the meetings tab at mbaa.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop.